a question I want to pose. I was talking with a friend of mine a few weeks back, and this, this came up. Is anxiety, is anxiety, or just being anxious, is it, is it a sin? I'll admit that attempting to answer that question makes me feel anxious. On the one hand, if we say, no, 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 anxiety is not a sin, well, we're going to have a little trouble with the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25, do not be anxious. Okay, now, yes, there's a context and all of those things, but uh, that's pretty clear. So it seems that contradicting Jesus wouldn't be a position we should want to be in, but on the other hand, on the other hand, if we say, yes, um, anxiety is a sin, well, then we have the issue of what, what we do with our anxiety, because all of us, in some way or another, have anxious moments, right? There, there's a scale, of course. We, we have concerns. We have worries about our lives. So if anxiety is a sin, then it seems like we're stuck. What do we do? Are we supposed to just, you know, grin and bear it, and, and sort of be robotic, emotionless, uh, and not care. And even, even this would betray the scriptures, because well, on the one hand, Jesus said, uh, do not be anxious. Well, um, Jesus himself was filled with anxiety that the scriptures talk about in, in Luke uh, twenty two forty four, 44, speaking of um, his hours before his arrest, and then eventually going to the cross. It says, being in agony, Luke writes, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. Great agony, sweat like blood. Jesus said in John 12, 27, his words, now my soul is troubled. So Jesus said, don't be anxious. And yet Jesus seemed to experience some anxiety. Even the apostle Paul, you see it on the screen. 2 Corinthians verse 11, 28 says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So to summarize, uh, we can't say anxiety isn't a sin because Jesus, um, among other scriptures, commands us not to be anxious, nor can we say anxiety is sin because the Apostle Paul spoke of his anxiety. Jesus himself expressed his anxiousness, yet of course he was without sin. And so now may the Lord bless us as we dismiss. No, not quite. We are spending a few weeks this summer, actually the final weeks of summer, in, in the Psalms. And the Psalms help us um, so much. I've used the line for the last two weeks, Psalm 8, two weeks ago. Or sorry, Psalm 25, two weeks ago. Last week, Psalm 8, encouraging those to be your new best friends. And, and my hope is the Psalm we look at today will be yet another uh, trusted friend for you, especially in this area of anxiety. And, and not just anxiety, but, but issues of despair, issues of trouble. In fact, um, I, I don't know if your Bible has the same heading that my Bible has over the Psalm we're going to look at. Uh, the, the heading that the editors put in, it says, in the day of trouble. <laughs> so again, we, we all, somewhere on a scale, we experience anxiety. And, and maybe there are times it's sinful. Maybe there are times it's not. But how we deal with it, how we reorder it, really seems to be the issue. And, and the Psalms, among other things, 
help us. The Psalms are Hebrew poetry, as we've noted. These were poems put to music. We actually sang last week Psalm 8, a new version of that. We aren't singing today uh, the psalm we're looking into, um, but you could do that later if you're so inclined. But the Psalms help us because as expressions of poetry and music, they are words and often uh, uh, prayers sung to God, but also they're, they're meant to be instructive. And once again, that's what we find today. And so if you have a Bible, I would invite you to turn to Psalm 77. And we're going to consider reordering our anxiety and despair. Because here's what I've found to be true. I think you have. Christians, people who have experienced the finished work of Jesus, like we just sang about, we, we get filled with anxiety. We get filled with despair. We get depressed. It, it troubles me when, when some Christians come along and say something along the lines of, you know, good Christians don't have that issue. I think it betrays real life, and it, and it honestly betrays what we find in God's word. Now, we need to learn some things from God's word, and we'll see that today. Psalm 77 is a psalm of Asaph, not, not of David, but this person Asaph. Um, the short answer to how to deal with or how to reorder our anxiety and despair is to rightly reflect on God. If you have to take off early, rightly reflect on God. There's the sermon in a nutshell. I'll say it a different way in a nutshell form at the end, but, but that's the short answer. But as we look through Psalm 77, we're going to see three steps that help us rightly reflect on God, three, three movements. Now, the psalm has, I think, six or so stanzas in terms of its poetic nature. We're not going to stick to that as much as kind of just three movements that we can sort of find in this psalm. One commentator says this, all of us who have known the enveloping pressure of a dark mood, is that, does that exclude anyone? <laughs> All who have known the enveloping pressure of a dark mood can be grateful for the candor of this fellow sufferer, but also for his courage. So let me read Psalm 77 from start to finish, verses 1 to 20. And then we'll walk through and see these, these steps for rightly reorienting our anxiety and despair. Psalm 77. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled, I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. Let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, 
I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me for a moment. Father, thank you that your word speaks to what we all experience, yes, in different degrees, but the experience of anxiety, the experience of despair, the the day of trouble. Thank you for this writer, Asaph, and this honest expression of what he was going through, and thank you for what it, it teaches us. Help us reorder our anxiety, reorder our despair by rightly reflecting on who you are and what you've done, and And speak to us now, I pray, through your word. Even, I pray especially, if there are some, even in the room this morning, God dealing with despair, anxiety, may your word minister as only it can by your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the first step that we learn from Asaph, the first step in reordering our anxiety and despair is to address our anxiety, not to one another, (laughs) but to address our anxiety and despair to God. So this psalm is a lament. We've talked about the different types of psalms, uh, and this psalm is definitely lament. It is honest crying out to God. In fact, that's how the psalm begins. I, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my right, or sorry, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My, my soul refuses to be comfort. I moan when I remember. I, my spirit faints when I meditate. Now, I do want you to notice there in verse three, remember and meditate. We're gonna see those two pairs of words two more times in this psalm. He, he remembers at the beginning here, and it's causing him to moan. As he meditates, it's causing him to, to, have, to be faint. Verse four, he, he says he can't sleep. You know, just, I love the honesty of this. I don't remember the last time that I cried out to God through the night over something. And, and that's not because there aren't things that I ought to you know, cry out to God for. Um, but but this, this person, we don't know the details, we don't know the background, but whatever he's facing, 
He's been up all night at minimum, crying, wailing, not sleeping, and, and remembering and meditating isn't helping. But he's addressing his trouble. He's addressing his anxiety. He's addressing his despair to God. You know, it's worth remembering forward many, many years into the New Testament, the writer of the book of Hebrews would say about Jesus that in the days of his flesh, speaking of probably that moment we spoke of during uh, a little bit earlier, but um, from the cross or from the garden, the writer to the Hebrews says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. So even the Lord Jesus knew how to aloud cry and to just express the, the real honest things he was going through. Just again, look, look at this. Verse one, he cries aloud. Verse two, his hand is stretched out. Verse three, or sorry, verse two again, his soul refuses to be comforted. He's moaning, his spirit faints, he's troubled. This almost seems like, so why are you doing it, right? If, it, if it's not working, why do it? Because he knows something, and we're going to see the steps move their way out. But he knows that God, the Father, is worth crying out to. He's worth addressing, even if it seems like there's, there's no answer coming. I was thinking just, uh, just this morning, um, when our oldest was just four years old, uh, when Mina was, was four, uh, she had only been with us uh, a few months, and uh, as she still is, she, she was always smiling and filled with joy. And on her first Reformation Day, of course, it's also known as Halloween in some people's homes, uh, but on her first Reformation Day, she was so excited to give out candy, you know, when people came to the door. And so we thought, well, this is perfect. She doesn't need to put on anything and go walking around. She's just excited to, to give out free candy. We explained, you know, what's going to happen, and she thought that was the coolest thing. And so at one point, uh, early on in the night, there's a ding-dong, maybe it was a knock-knock, and uh, Samina runs to the door. She opens the door. And there was a couple of people, uh, and one of the, the people was wearing that famous Scream mask, if you remember the movie Scream. And this one had this little gadget where, I guess when you like little, hit, hit a little hand thing, it makes like blood, like red-looking blood, go through the Scream mask. Uh, Mina's joy at giving out candy turned instantly as she screamed and came running back toward us. And we had to then deal with <laughs> uh, what we didn't anticipate dealing with on that night. We didn't mind Mina's crying out to us as parents. We, we, didn't, we didn't just, oh, Mina, just deal with it and go back, give out candy. No, we, 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 we cared. Her, her crying out to us, screaming to us as her parents, whatever else was going on, she was the most important one in the room at the moment. And that illustrates in a slight way what, what we learned from this psalm and so many other places when our Father hears us crying aloud to Him, when our Father hears us unable to sleep, coming to Him again and again and again with trouble and anxiety and despair, He, he doesn't just say, just you know, buck up, camper, pull your, your straps up and just muscle through. That's not our Heavenly Father. He hears us. And there may be 
a time when we wonder if he hears us. That sure seems to be what this psalmist is going through, right? He's refusing to be comforted. But, but he's going to reveal something in a moment related to who God is and what God has done. And so he, he, keeps, he keeps going before God. God is good. We're going to see that. And he cares for his sons and daughters. He cares for you. Will you say out loud, God cares for me? He gives us full permission to come to him with our anxieties and our despair and to do it again and again and again while we wait and wait. And notice again, that waiting is not just sitting back doing nothing. It's praying and crying out, God, where are you? And, and that lament is what we, we see here. It's what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 7, that because of Jesus and what he has done, ultimately we are commanded, 1 Peter 5, 7, to cast our anxieties on him. Why does Peter say to do that? Does anybody know the rest of the verse? I think someone said it. Because he cares. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Do we do that? when we face anxiety and despair. Do you do that when you face anxiety and despair? Will you do this when you face anxiety and despair? How how about, will you lovingly and tenderly, graciously point others to do this when they face anxiety and despair? Address God. Address God with your anxiety and despair. Seek him. Seek him. Our brave, honest psalm composer here says that the first thing is to address God, to bring anxiety and despair to him. But we don't stop there. It's good to address God, but there's a second step. And we see it in the next set of verses, verses six through nine. And that is, to ask questions about God's nature. We address God with our anxiety and despair, and then we, number two, ask questions about God's nature. Look at verses six through nine. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. There's the second time now, remember and meditate have come up. This time, there's no statement about it not working or it causing, you know, trouble. (laughs) There's a progress, you might say, happening. Let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. And then these, these questions about God's nature, honest questions. Listen to these again. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love, remember that, that's covenant love, that's his faithful love, that's his love for us, we can say, through Christ. Has his covenant, faithful, steadfast love, his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love, has it ceased forever? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? I love that one. <laughs> 
Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Talk about honest questions. We address our anxiety and despair, and then we ask questions. The psalmist does this, honest questions. And in one sense, the answer to all five questions is a resounding no. Of course not. But we have to get what we know up here down into our heart. And one of the ways to do that is to, to ask questions. And again, we see this. This is the language of lament, this honest God-directed asking of questions. There's no sin here. This doesn't cross the line. It sure kind of feels like it gets close to a line, but but just honest honesty. Let me let me quote Old Testament scholar Trimper Longman. This is a good quote. Indeed, many of these words are connected to God's covenant. God promised his covenant partners, including the psalmist, that he would be in a relationship with them. But the psalmist asks God. If he's rejected him forever. In the covenant, God also assured his people that he would show them favor, unfailing love, mercy, compassion. But these all seem absent from the psalmist's life. So he wonders whether God has failed on his promise. These charges are serious and bold. But God does not strike the psalmist dead. The very presence of this prayer here in the Psalms, makes it clear that God invites his people's honest and courageous prayers. Can I get an amen? So there in verse six, I pointed out again, the the remember and meditate. We're gonna see it one more time. To remember, to meditate. You, You might remember, pun intended, We've encountered this word two times already in this series. We saw it two weeks ago in Psalm 25. We saw it last week in Psalm 8. There, it was God remembering. And we talked about this word. It doesn't just mean a, mean a cognitive, you know, like, oh, I forgot, now I remember. <laughs> That's not what it means. It's, it's a word that means to, to, to incline to action. In this psalm, now two times, it's, it's the psalmist who remembers who is being drawn toward action. And the first action is to meditate. Tim Keller again wrote, to meditate is to ask oneself questions about the truth, such as, what difference does this make? Am I taking this seriously? If I forget this, how will that affect me? Have I forgotten it? Am I living in light of this? To ask questions about the truth. Eugene Peterson, another great writer, says this, meditation is an intensification of awareness, of perception. When the focus of meditation is narrowly bound by feelings of self-pity, the self in isolation, the result is an intensification of misery. But if the focus is on God in the self, on God in history, on God in creation, the result is a magnification of grace. We should ask questions about who God is, seeking to remember his character, his nature, as the scriptures inform our mind and in our heart about his covenant with us. And we may feel like he has stopped loving us when we're in a time of trouble 
or in a time of anxiety or despair. We may feel like he's not answering. His, his favor's not there. And so we've addressed him. We were asking questions that, you know, God, you promise. You, you tell me, fear not, for you're with me. You tell me, to, don't be troubled or, or dismayed, for you're my God. This is Isaiah 41.10. You promise to help me, to strengthen me, to uphold me. Are you going to do it, God? It's okay to ask these kinds of questions all in this lament as we remember what is true of him, as we meditate on these things, to ask questions about his nature. So as we're seeking to reorder our anxiety, our despair, on who God is, on what he's done, we we start by addressing these to God. We ask questions about his character and then finally, we have a last step. We must appeal to who God is and what he has done. We not only ask questions about it, but then we, we actually land and we, we appeal to those very things. So verses 10 through 20, kind of the second half of the psalm. If your Bible has it, I want you to see at the end of verse 9, that, that little word selah. We all aren't exactly sure what it's there for. Probably it's a musical pause or break. It's when the band does a little, you know, guitar solo moment. But it's there after verse 9, and really it's, it's the turning point for what's coming in verse 10. The transition happens after verse 9, after uh, addressing God, after asking questions, now our psalmist, our friend, our, the one who's helping us with our despair and anxiety is, is, is ready to appeal to who God is and what he has done. And so for the third time, look at verse 11, or starting at verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? Notice there the our God. So, so this is a personal lament, and yet the, the community is involved He's singing, instructing the community. This is our God. This is not just a pilgrim on his own, but for God's people. What God is great like our God? Verse 14, you are the God who works wonders. You have made known your mighty, your might among the peoples. And with your arm, you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Verse 15 through 19, actually 20, recount the Exodus, uh, where it will, because of time, not look at the specifics there, but it, it appears to be the psalmist writing, singing poetically about what God did when God invited Moses and the people to, to hang out right there at the water, even though Pharaoh and his armies were coming. And then when it was time for Moses to lift up his, his hand, the staff, a signal of God's presence, and then God led them miraculously out of the dry land, and then the waters came and wiped out the Egyptians. And that, that exodus moment, that, that was the Israelites, that's their moment. God's, God's freeing them from slavery. And we, church, that, that was pointing ahead 
to the exodus we would experience from death to life, from, from slavery to sin to freedom through Christ, our Redeemer, our Savior, the one who's justified us. And just as the saints of old remembered the exodus, we rehearse, we should rehearse over and over again the wondrous work of God in sending a Savior. Jesus, the one who lives the life, lived the life we can't live. Jesus, the one who perfectly obeyed even though we can't. Jesus, the one who then says, I'll, I'll go to the cross, Father, and take your wrath instead of letting them take it. The glorious truths about who God is and what he has done. Jump to verse 20. It, it, one writer calls it sort of an anticlimax, right? He's just talked about in verses 11 through 15, kind of God's work, uh, probably speaking of creation and, and, and what we see, you know, in his works that way. Uh, but then 16 through 19, speak of the Exodus event. And then verse 20, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God, you, you're like a shepherd. You are a shepherd and you, you led your people. It might feel anticlimactic, but it's, it's calculated it's calculated. God does great displays of power and creation, and we see it. I was up early this morning as I was walking, looking at the moon, very small, kind of in the eastern sky, and a few stars through the kind of fog. His wonders there. God did amazing wonders in, in saving us in Christ, and ultimately, it's because he's, he's a shepherd. We're, we're, we're a sheep. I think the Bible says that a few other times. I think David said the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or I, I, lack, I lack nothing. Friends, we, we can't forget who God is and what he has done. And as we have days of trouble, as we have days of anxiety, uh, days of despair, and, and if you don't, you, you might, you, you might. Let Psalm 77 be, be another good friend. You know, it's so easy for us, so easy for me, when I face things, to, to not go to God's word first. I'll, I'll go to my device and see what things might say to me. It doesn't usually work out well. But to have a friend like Psalm 77... To, to see the ability to cry aloud to God, to, to address him and just be honest, to ask honest questions in lament, but, but then to appeal to um, who he is, what he has done, and remember. And, and again, so we, we come back to this remembering and meditating. This truly is the sermon in a nutshell. This is the psalm in, in a nutshell. How do we address, how do we redirect uh, our anxieties and despair to rediscover God? We, we have to remember and meditate again and again. Remember and meditate. And really what, what this psalmist does at the end is, is praise. He's praising God. It doesn't, he doesn't say anything about now things are solved. Did, did you hear that anywhere? 
I didn't. I didn't see anywhere in here that his trouble is over, but, but in it, uh, having addressed God, having asked questions, and now having appealed to who God is and what he's done to God's character, he, he's praising God for his work and his wonders. Will we live like that when we need to? Will we live like that if we need to? Will we help others lovingly and graciously live like that? Would you stand and pray with me? And we're going we're gonna to sing about doing just that about praising God. So Father, I pray that this psalm would be a new friend to some of us, to many of us. I pray, Father, that this psalm might be a reminder for some of us. Thank you for its honesty. Because, Lord, we do have trouble. We do have anxiety. We do have despair. Help us not be too simplified, God, with our own selves, nor with others, but but let the beauty of this, this Hebrew song, this Hebrew psalm, encourage us. Help us to be people who praise in and through the things we go through. Thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus in our lives. In Jesus' name.